Good and gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day, a day which we have never seen before. We thank you for this beginning of fall, the break in our ever so hot temperatures. We thank you for safety through yesterday's storm. We thank you, Lord, for a place to come and worship you safely and securely, the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth and to share our lives with each other. We thank you in particular this day for Nathan and his family and Nathan's baptism. We ask that you now would speak a word to us, a word of challenge and conviction, a word of liberation and freedom, a word of hope, power, promise, a word of transformation, and a word of joy. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> My sermon text for today is the gospel lesson, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. My sermon title for this morning is A Contract, A Promise, and an Opportunity. A Contract, A Promise, and an Opportunity. Do today's readings make you uncomfortable? Do you find them unsettling. We find in them a generous God. In Jonah and in the psalm actually which was left out today, God is described as gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In verse 15 of our gospel lesson he describes himself as generous. Disturbingly, the human reaction to this generosity of God is anger and grumbling. The prophet Jonah is not only angry in the text, but you can read there, angry enough to die. Because this generous God has had the audacity to have mercy on the inhabitants of Nineveh, that great and wicked city. Isn't this what I said when I was still in my own country? The petulant prophet pouts. That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that, and then he complains of this fact, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. Keep in mind it is these exact traits that he decries here which resulted in God's freeing him from the belly of a great fish not two chapters earlier. Intriguingly, Jonah is the only book in the Bible to end with a question. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, God inquires of Jonah and of us, the reader, the fact that it ends with this question is an invitation for us to answer it. Jonah would say no. What we would say remains to be seen. In the gospel lesson, similarly, God asked in verse 15 at the end of the parable, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous. This question is asked of a representative of the hard and long working group 
who grumbled in verse 11 against the patent unfairness of this situation and of the God who orchestrates it. These questions remain to be answered by us today. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Are you envious because I am generous? Is it good news or bad that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishment? Today's parable of the laborers in the vineyard is unique to Matthew's gospel. It has no parallel text in Mark, Luke, or John. A preliminary point to be made is that I do not believe this parable concerns salvation because it concerns works. And we all know that salvation is a free gift of God completely by grace through faith apart from works as the Apostle Paul relentlessly reminds us in his letters. I think this parable is in direct response to Peter's question four verses earlier, just outside of our assigned reading for today, in verse 27 of the previous chapter, where Peter says to Jesus, Look, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What will we get? What will we receive? Talk about a loaded question. It's certainly gutsy. Because the deeply hidden, never revealed, or publicly talked about uncomfortable truth behind that question is that forgiveness of sin, reconciliation to God, even a heavenly home on high in the hereafter is not enough. We want something here and now. We want something in this life. We want a change in our circumstances now. Jesus, I've left everything to follow you. You're first in my life. What then shall I have? What will you do for me? If I follow you, I expect something in return. I'm not doing it for nothing after all. And forgiveness is great. But the truth is we all want more than that. Some kind of payout, some kind of reward, something to make it all worthwhile. What then will we get? Jesus says in verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, read God, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers, read us, you and me, for his vineyard, read his world, his kingdom, So right off the bat, God is the landowner. He owns it. It's his vineyard. You and I are laborers hired to work in it. Your house, your home, your family, your relations, your friends, your job, your congregation, your school. It's all God's vineyard. God owns it, and he's hired you and me to labor in it. Notice that God goes out at five different times during the day to hire laborers, according to verses 1 through 7. He goes out early in the morning, about 9 o'clock, about noon, about 3 o'clock, and about 5 o'clock. 
God, on his end, never gives up. He goes out at dawn, at 9, at 12 p.m., at 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. Whether you respond or not, heed the call or not, go to the vineyard or not, whether you're out there available at dawn, 9, 12, 3, or 5, God is continuously going out. He is continually seeking you out. He is incessantly searching for you. God doesn't give up. He doesn't leave you alone. God has a kingdom prepared for you. Please also notice that though God goes out five different times during the day, he makes essentially three different invitations to which the laborers respond. In verse number two, initially, he agreed with the laborers for the usual daily wage. You know what that's called? That's called a contract. We now have a contract. You do this for me and I'll do this for you. I'll work in your field all day and you pay me a denarius. I'll labor for you and you give me the agreed upon daily wage. Lord, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Well, what did we agree to? What contract do we have? I'll honor it. You want the usual daily wage, a denarius? You got it. After all, we both signed off on it. We've agreed to it. We have a contract. Watch out when you make a contract with God, my friend. He'll honor it, all right. In verse 4, something different happens. God says to this later group, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. I will pay you whatever is right. There are no negotiations, no mutually reached, agreed upon contract. Rather, this is a promise. A unilateral promise, too. Whatever is right is what I will give you. The first group goes out on a contract. The second group goes out on a promise. I'll work for you. You honor your promise. I'll labor for you. You just give me what is right. Look, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. What then shall we have? Whatever is right. Whatever is right. In verse 7, something yet different occurs. God says to this last group, you also go to the vineyard, period. No negotiation, no contract, no promise even. Just an opportunity. They just went. They just responded. The first group goes out on a contract. The second group goes out on a promise. The third and final group just goes out. They're just extended an invitation and they go. They're just extended an opportunity and they go. Look, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the invitation. Look, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. It really doesn't matter what I get. I'm just glad to be here. I'm just glad you're still out looking for me. My friends, 
are you in here this morning on a contract, on a promise, or on an opportunity? Are you praying and singing today on a contract, on a promise, or because of an opportunity? Are you receiving the word of God and the sacrament of communion today on a contract, on a promise, or just because they are offered and you love them? Will you place your offering in the offering plate or send in your offering online to this ministry? Will you turn in your time and talents and treasures, commitment sheets in a few weeks from today on Commitment Sunday on a contract, on a promise, just because you have the chance. Whatever financial amount you will soon pledge, however many ministries you sign up for, what will underlie it? A contract, a promise, or an opportunity? Because you can strike a deal with God right now in the form of a contract, of a quid pro quo. You can respond to God based on trust. Trust in God's promise and that he will do what is right in your life. Or you can love in your life just because it's an opportunity to love. You can serve just because it's an opportunity to serve. You can sing and dance just because the opportunity is there. You can give of yourself and your resources just because. If you do what you do based on a contract, God will honor it but you might grumble in the end. If you do what you do based on God's promise, promise to do what is right, He'll honor that too. He will come through for you. If you do what you do based solely on an opportunity, solely because you have the chance, it won't matter what God does or how God responds, you won't even be thinking of that. Your trust will run so deep as to be transformed into pure, thankful, grateful, appreciative joy. The knowledge that you are created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, combined with the fact that Jesus' blood has redeemed you and is transforming you into his own image, combined with the fact that you now feel the Holy Spirit of God moving around inside you where it lives will be enough to do what you do, give what you give, live how you live, and love how you love uncritically without any thought of outcome, consequences, or repercussion as the question, what then shall I have, is dissolved into that great declaration of Scripture, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and everything has become brand new. Amen. When evening came, when evening came, verse 8 says, accounts are settled by the owner of the vineyard, again, read God, through his manager, read his son, Jesus Christ. Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. Beginning with the last and then going to the first. Everyone got the same thing here. Those who went on a contract got what they contracted for, the usual daily wage. 
Those who went on a promise got what was right, the usual daily wage. Those who just went on an opportunity got the usual daily wage. The contracted workers grumbled in verses 11 and 12. These last only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. I don't care what you say. That's just not fair. You ought not pay someone who worked only one hour the same thing you pay someone else who worked 12 hours. After all, they only worked one-twelfth of the time. There's not a person in here right now who doesn't know the feeling of bearing the burden of the day and the heat of the day in some form or fashion and the resentment that can breed. The reprimand of God is as clear here as it is hard to swallow in verses 13 through 15. But he replied, friend, I am doing you no wrong did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last one the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? A sentiment, interestingly enough, which we readily embrace for ourselves when we consider ourselves the landlord. How many of you have ever thought, I can do what I want with what I got. Or are you envious because I am generous? In my flesh, I want to say yes. Yes, I am envious. Because in this instance, your generosity is misplaced and misguided. That's how my flesh assesses this situation. I think the whole text, my friends, hinges upon and turns on verse number 12. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. That is what's offensive. That is what's provocative. That is what is scandalous. Depending on how you understand that, it is either extremely unfair or extremely generous or both. Because the reality is, you might think that you have borne the burden and the heat of the day, but really you haven't. Someone else has. And I'll tell you what else he's borne. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. That is bearing the burden and the heat of the day. and That is what Jesus did for us. No matter how hard we may have worked in this life, on a cosmic scale, you and I are the Johnny-come-latelys in the five o'clock crowd. Looking at the parable this way leads to yet another insight. God makes this undeserving crowd of which we are a part equal to the one who bore the burden and the heat of the day. So now the good news becomes even better news. 
Not only has Jesus borne the burden of your sins and the heat of your brokenness, not only has Christ borne the burden of your guilt and the heat of your shame, but now you and I, Mr. and Mrs. Johnny come lately, standing idle all day, didn't even go into the vineyard until 5 p.m., are made equal to him. I don't get it, Pastor. How? First John says, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. First Corinthians says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that is Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, that is Christ. The weight of scripture testifies to our being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. As 2 Corinthians says, from one degree of glory to another. How about that? He bears our burdens and we bear his image. He bears our heat and we bear his likeness. He bears our sins and we bear his glory. He bears the yoke of our day and we have rest for our souls. It's not fair. God doesn't play fair. He's too generous. He made the last equal to the first. He made the 5 o'clock folk equal to the 6 a.m. crowd. He took us and made us equal to Jesus who did all the work. Is that a contract? It is on God's end. Is that a promise? It is on God's end. Is that an opportunity? It is on your end. Contract. Promise. An opportunity.